Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and the world of spirits. We're now in G. So we're going to start G off with a very easy one. Gabriel. Gabriel's got other names though. Abruel, Gabriel, Gibril. Gabriel is a great and powerful angel of hope, love, light and illumination. He is an angel of justice, joy and sometimes death. He is righteous, benevolent and compassionate. Gabriel is the angel of the Holy Spirit and guardian of the holy waters of life. He stands to the left of the divine chariot and serves the creator directly. Gabriel is believed to maintain close communication with the creator and thus is a particularly powerful intercessor. In Ethiopia, where he has historically been deeply venerated, Gabriel is considered the archangel most likely to perform miracles. Although all the archangels are miracle workers, Gabriel produces more and is most generous. Gabriel is renowned as the angel with the horn, which he will blow to signal judgment day. Gabriel is revered by Jews, Muslims, Christians and the unaffiliated. Before he was an archangel, Gabriel was venerated as a deity in Babylonia. According to a version of creation, Gabriel created Eve from Adam's shoulder blade or from the flesh beneath his armpit. Of course, that's another story, another Bible story, my dad. Archangel Michael may be humanity's defender, but Gabriel is our provider. Moroccan folklore explains that when Adam and Eve were thrust from paradise, Gabriel brought them a cow, goat, wheat and a plough and personally taught Adam how to plough. Gabriel has dominion over birth and death. He is among the angels most frequently invoked to heal infidelity. Many scholars believed him to be the angel sent to destroy Sodom and also Gomorrah. Jewish angelology ranks Gabriel among the angels of death. It is considered an honour and a blessing to have Gabriel as an escort to the beyond, as opposed to some of his scarier comrades. Gabriel presides over a place in the sixth heaven, where lucky souls get to spend eternity. Christians consider Gabriel the patron saint of happy death. Gabriel is one of only two angels identified by name in the Bible. Michael is the other. Gabriel explains Daniel's visions in the book of Daniel 8.15-26. The Kabbalah associates Gabriel with the Sephira of Jevura, power. Gabriel is the angel of the Annunciation. The Gospel of Luke 126-38 names Gabriel as the angel who hailed Mary and revealed her destiny. Gabriel may have been the angel in the garden of Gethsemane. According to pre-Islamic Syrian angelology, Gabriel is the highest and foremost among angels. He serves as a mediator between creator and creation. In Islam, Gabriel is the angel who dictated the Quran to Muhammad. As angel of communications, Gabriel is considered presiding angel of the actual internet. 
As the Angel of Annunciation, Gabriel is subject of countless icons and paintings among the artists he has inspired are Leonardo da Vinci, Fra Angelico, Titian, Donatello, Henry Asawa Tana, Edward Byrne Jones, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, John William Waterhouse. Gabriel is the Angel of Dreams. Invoke his aid to improve your dreaming skills eradicate nightmares, or to provide prophetic dreams. Yeah, the Rider White Smith a tarot judgment card actually depicts Gabriel with his horn in his act of walking the dead. Many other decks also have this image, although not all of them. Gabriel is a subject of dream divination, intended to improve your dreaming skills or provide prophetic dreams. Just before going to sleep, hold the card in your hands, and articulate an invocation to Gabriel. Describe precisely what you need. Place the card beneath your pillow together with a twig of wormwood. To go to sleep, pay attention to your dreams. Wormwood can be found with its Latin name as Artemisia obstintium. Repeat as necessary. Don't get discouraged too quickly. Sometimes it can take a little while. Gabriel is among the spiritual guardians of earth, invoked to protect sacred places. Request his help if a sacred site is endangered. He is also frequently petitioned for fertility. The traditional Ethiopian vow is to promise to name the baby in his honour. Gabriel is considered the guardian of those born under the sign Cancer. However, he may have dominion over all water signs, so that's Scorpio and Pisces too. Is a patron of postal workers, stamp collectors, astrologers and dreamers. And he has countless artworks, let's be honest, everywhere. His attribute is the trumpet or the horn, however you want to foresee it. His planet is the moon. His star is Fumalhaut. His element is water. His day is Monday. His direction is north and or west sources, so north, west and west. The season is winter, especially the month of January. His jewels are emerald, moonstone and pearl. His metal is silver. His colours are shades of the sea greens and blues. His sacred dates, 26th of March, 24th of July, the 8th of November, Eastern Churches. 24th of March was Gabriel's original Roman Catholic feast. 1969 church calendar reform was eliminated that date. And had Michael share his feast 29th of September with Raphael and Gabriel. Hmm. So once again, it got changed through time, as you can see. Now the next is Gaia. But Gaia was also called G, as in the word geology and geography. Origin is Greece. Instead of looking up to the skies to creator, look underfoot. Gaia is Earth. Gaia is the goddess. In the beginning... Before anything existed, there was chaos, the void, Gaia, the earth, emerged from chaos and formed the sea, Pontus and the sky, Uranus, from her own body. Thus begins an ancient Greek creation saga. It is a point from which virtually every general Greek mythology book begins. Hesiod's version of creation skips right over the part with chaos and starts with Gaia. Gaia is praised in the Homeric hymns, Tsiji, 
as the oldest of divinities. Gaia and Uranus became lovers and generate more beings. The Titans and the Cyclops, for instance. Following their separation, Gaia begat more children with Pontus. Gaia is literally the Earth. You can stand on her. But she is an active goddess with a personality too. She's not a goddess of agriculture. That's Demeter. Instead, she is the spirit of the wild, sacred earth containing untold treasures and potential. Gaia is devoted to all her children, accepting them as they are, unlike the many fathers, Uranus, Cronus, Zeus, or Greek mythology, who prey upon their hairs and seek to suppress them. Gaia battles with gods on behalf of her children. This mythic Gaia is based on the cosmologies of Greece and southern Italy, regions highly prone to earthquakes where Earth is experienced as an active, living presence. She's not static or motionless, but very much alive. Earthquakes may be perceived as expressions of divine anger, but they also physically resemble birthing contractions. And that's how I was brought up to see them as well, just so we're clear. Gaia is an ever-present spirit of justice. She's never absent. Greek citizens swore public oaths to her. Shrines were dedicated to her. They were built near deep chasms, believed to be the most acceptable place to communicate with her. Her shrines were associated with oracles such as those at Delphi, Athens and Macedonia. Delphi was the most famous oracle of the ancient world. Gaia's priestesses, known as Pythonesses, prophesied after inhaling vapours emerging from a fissure in Gaia. Essentially, they spoke directly with her. The oraculeous spirit Apollo staged a coup, slaying the shrine's sacred serpent and installing himself as deity in charge. However, even after Delphi was re-educated to Apollo, the Pythoness began her formal address to the deities with the words, First, in my prayer before all the deities, I call on Earth, primeval prophetess. The Greek-influenced Russian church officially places Gaia under the dominion of the Creator, According to a Russian folk legend, Gaia complained bitterly to the Creator about the pain humanity causes her. The Creator advised him not to cry, as in the end, he'll eat them all, which she does when we are buried. Earth is her body. All of Gaia is sacred, but her place of utmost power is Delphi, her navel chakra. Traditionally, Gaia was given simple primeval foods like barley cakes and honey as well as libations of pure water. Offerings may be given at times but are especially important before plants are gathered when they have been you know when you have to dig them and extract them. Place offerings in small holes directly in the directly in the earth. That is something else I practice as well. I'm not going to lie. I do not take anything without asking, explaining and giving back because I just, I don't want to upset Gaia, you know, why would I? So it's something I've practiced since I was a child. I will never harvest anything. I won't even rip up the weeds. You know, whenever the garden's getting really bad and it needs weeding, I won't do that. 
Absolutely not. Lee will do it, no problem. I won't be around when he does it because I don't want to see it. Because I truly believe that, like, Gaia's living and that hurts her. Um, and that I can't help. It's just the way I was brought up. So I cannot... I can't change it, you know. Because it's the way I've been brought up, I can't actually change it. And I will not take anything without asking, explaining why I'm taking it, what it's for. And then I will always leave gifts, you know, where where it should be left, really. Um, in the same sort of place where the plant's being taken in, in the soil. And it's usually like berries, nuts, things like that. Um, things that are going to help any wildlife that's finding out birds and things sometimes I do leave like lettuce leaves for the caterpillars it depends what month it is so I always make sure I leave something in place of taking something and I always ask and explain why <clears throat> believe me if Gaia doesn't want you to take it you'll know so the next is Ganesh now the thing is with the name Ganesh it also has other names Ganapati is another one, and Ganesha is the other. Lord of new beginnings, lord of obstacles. He who bestows blessings, origin India. The elephant and a Ganesh may be the most beloved deity of the modern Hindu pantheon, venerated by millions. He's invoked by Buddhist, Jains and neo-pagans too. <clears throat> he is benevolent and is generous to all. Lord of beginnings... Ganesha's blessings are sought before initiating any new enterprise, is lord of obstacles, removing but also creating them, sometimes from anger but sometimes just to attract further veneration. The flip side of Ganesh is that he must be appropriated before new ventures, lest he place obstacles in your path. Ganesh bestows success, victory, prosperity, material comfort, romance, love, better sex, supernatural powers and skills to his devotees. However, he can also block all these things too, although he's unlikely to do so unless insulted and angered. Ganesha is a generous, sympathetic spirit, quick to bestow favours. He is a trickster, but on behalf of his devotees and those he loves. Ganesha has a fast, volatile temper, but he calms down quickly too, and can be soothed and appeased. But remember, the old saying, an elephant never forgets. Ganesha is the first deity worshipped during Hindu rituals. He is the first image at the head of all processions. He is an indispensable component of all Hindu ceremonies except funeral rites. Historical evidence indicates that Ganesh was known as early as 12,000 BCE. However, surviving depictions are rare before the 4th century CE. He was incorporated into the Hindu pantheon comparatively late, in approximately the 15th century CE. Ganesh is believed to have begun his incarnation as a pre-Aryan elephant spirit venerated by jungle tribes. In addition to his other gifts, he was invoked for protection from elephant herds. He was absorbed into the Hindu pantheon as a son of Shiva and Parvati. Various myths explains why Ganesh has an elephant head. In one, Parvati creates her son from the scrapings of her own skin, 
Ganesh was born while Shiva was away, long-term practising austerities. Ganesh is extremely close to his mother when she asked him to guard her. Privacy in the bath, he took up his position at the door. This was the moment Shiva returned. Father and son didn't know each other. Shiva wished to see Parvati. Ganesh refused to let him pass. Shiva beheaded him. Parvati came to see the source of his commotion, of the commotion, should I say, and was distraught. Now comprehending the situation, Shiva revived Ganesh, but was forced to find a new head. The first to be had was obviously an elephant's head. Ganesh is a lot of entrances, thresholds and crossroads. Let him guard your door. It's traditional to place his image above the main entrance thresholds, so that he's always encountered when entering. Ganesh is happy to be venerated alongside other deities. However, never forget that he is Lord of Beginnings. If you feed him, feed him first before other spirits. There may be conflict if you venerate him alongside other spirits, who also expect to be first served. For instance, Ilegba. Ganesh heals physical, spiritual and emotional ills. Ganesh has the power to liberate from the karma of past lives. He is invoked for children by the childless. Petition him at a home altar or a temple. Ganesh is the subject of fertility rituals conducted at his temple in Madurai, India. Allegedly, if you bathe his image and... <clears throat> so circumambulate around it for 48 consecutive mornings. He will grant your wish for children. Ganesh is a popular, popular tantric deity too. His trunk and single tusk are phallic symbols. Early Hindu texts suggest disapproval of Ganesh, who was then associated with orgiastic rituals. He remains associated with tantra among Buddhists. Ganesh communicates with devotees in dreams. Ganesh will allegedly help anyone who approaches him with a pure heart. He is a special patron of musicians who play the tabla, as well as authors, poets and writers. In Thailand, Ganesh is considered patron of elephant trainers. Ganesh is an elephant's head and a man's pot-bellied body. He has one broken tusk. His skin usually has a rosy hue. His big ears signifies his capacity to listen and hear. His forehead is marked with vermilion, indicating his tendency to involve himself in the issues associated with women. His generosity towards female devotees. There's countless of images of Ganesh sitting, standing, dancing or riding his mouse. Once you know what he looks like, he's very recognisable. He's attributed to an axe, a lotus, elephant, good, a rosary and noose. Ganesh serves Pavati and Shiva. He may be enshrined with Lakshima and Sarasvati. Ganesh's home is a celestial realm called the Abode of Bliss. I think that's um, Svaanda Dharma. He lives in a marvellous palace surrounded by a forest of wish-fulfilling trees and an ocean of sugarcane juice. His colours are white, red and pink. His element is water. His numbers are 1, 3 and 5 and his animals are the mouse and the snake. His mount is a mouse. He rides a mouse. Ganesh is easy to please, but he cannot be fooled. He will accept the most modest offerings, but only if given with sincere intent and devotion. 
His favourite offering is said to be modaka, a type of sweet rice from wheat cake. Allegedly, the more modaka you give him, the more inclined he is to work on your behalf. Ganesh also accepts peanuts, fruits, especially bananas, sweets, candy and sugarcane. So, he seems to have a sweet tooth at least. <laughs> the next spirit is Gerda. Gerda is Norse origin, a classification of the Jotun. Gerda, the beautiful snow queen, daughter of Angaboda and the giant Gimir. Shines so blazingly white that she rivals the sun. Gerda is a goddess of snow blindness. Like Hans Christian Andersen's Snow Queen, she allegedly had the heart of ice, Freya, and the Elven King, Lord of Fertility. Well, he took one look at her and fell madly in love with her. He sent his trusted servant, Skinnir, to beg for a hand in marriage. Skinnir's first attempt to woo Gerda by a bribery. He offered her magical golden apples, Odin's magical golden arm ring. Every ninth night, eight more gold rings dropped from the first. Gerda spurned these, saying she had more than enough gold of her own. Skinnir threatened Gerda with violence, saying he would cut off her head if she didn't marry the dwarf. But she laughed at his threats and called his bluff. Finally, Skinnir threatened Gerda with magic, saying he would carve ruins, ruins on her, his magic wand and strike her with it if she didn't marry the dwarf. These ruins would doom her to eternal loneliness and longing. She would forever lack family, friends or children. All food and drink would taste foul. That gloomy fate depressed Gerda so much she agreed. She agreed to the marriage in the forest. Surprisingly, considering this was not very romantic courtship, they allegedly were the happiest couple in the world. The warmth of Freya's love melted the Snow Queen's heart, and they lived happily ever after. That said, Gerda demanded that Freya relinquish his magic sword as her bride price, ultimately leaving him virtually weaponless at Ragnarok, armed only with stag's antlers. Gerda is blindingly dazzling white. She shines so brightly that, as with angels, it's impossible to keep one's eyes open in her presence. Her colour is white. Gerda is associated with the Aura Borealis, the Northern Lights. How beautiful is that? I like that. Yeah, that's nice. So... We're going to move on to the next one, but actually we're not going to do ghosts because I think we all know what a ghost is, right? I mean, we are doing the world of spirits, so, mm, you know, we're going to do ghouls instead. Also, now the ghoul is spelt, as you know, G-H-O-U-L. However, it's been known to be spelt ghoul, G-H-O-O-L, ghoul, which is generally ghoul and ghoul are the male so g-h-u-l the feminine is ghoula g-h-u-l-a ghouls are a lower order of extremely malicious jinn they are murderous treacherous ferocious spirits who will kill and devour humans and not 
in the potentially good shamanistic way that serves as an initiation. Ghouls are just killers. They're classified as cannibals because of their preference for human flesh. Ghouls may first have appeared in Egypt or Arabia. They existed long before Islam but now appear throughout the Islamic world, sometimes far from their original territory. Ancient Arab Arabic legends suggest that ghouls took the form of a beautiful, shapely woman in order to lure travellers. Ghouls haunt burial grounds and cemeteries where they feed upon cadavers. They linger amid ruins, isolated areas, and in the desert wilderness. In modern Egypt, the word ghoul may indicate any kind of bloodthirsty cannibal, not necessarily a spirit being. Ghouls sometimes manifest as animals and often as monsters. They are shapeshifters and will choose their form based on whatever is most likely to entrap victims. Moroccan ghouls frequently appear as hairy giant women with pendulum breasts and goat's feet. They can transform into young beautiful women too, whenever they actually wish to. So that's an interesting one indeed. I don't think I'd want to meet something like that, do you? Nope. The next is now Gnome, Teutonic is its origin. Gnomes are subterranean spirits, now most associated with garden statuary. Obviously the garden statues, right? But anyway, before they became that. They resemble tiny people. Paracelsus described gnomes as two spans high. A span is the width of an outstretched human hand. Unlike dwarf soccer balls, gnomes are not mine or cave spirits, but tend to live beneath human gardens. They have a reputation for emerging at night to do a little helpful garden work. Garden gnomes allegedly bring much luck. Gnomes tend to be quiet, private, <clears throat> taciturn spirits, but they respond well to gifts and offerings. They can be persuaded to become loyal allies, guardians and helpers. Female gnomes may be especially taciturn as they rarely depicted. However, folklore indicates that there are entire gnome communities with the male and female gnomes of all ages. Gnomes maintain good relationships with birds, rabbits, foxes, hedgehogs and squirrels. The earliest gnome statuary was produced in Thuringia, Germany in the early 19th century and was based on German folklore. Gnome statues potentially welcome and attract real gnomes as well as flower fairies or other benevolent spirits. The earliest statue was carefully wrought, hand-painted terracotta, and were exceptionally popular. By <clears throat> the 1960s, cheaper plastic and resin virgins were mass-produced. The old terracotta ones are now extremely valuable, and are family heirlooms. Garden gnome statues tend to evoke very visceral responses. Some people adore and collect them, others love them so much that they feel justified destroying or removing from other people's property. Gnomes are the subject of modern entertainment as well as old folk tales. The animated children's television show, The World of David, the gnome was highly unusual in that it depicted both female and male gnomes. The gnomes in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series are garden pests, not helpers. The standard garden gnome depicts an older male gnome with a long beard and peaked red hat. He wears a big belt over leggings, a blue tunic and boots. Sometimes they wear gardeners' aprons. The emblem for the gnome are mushrooms, especially Amanita 
muscaria. The presence of galbanum, ferula galbaniflua, allegedly invites the protection of gnomes. <laughs> but try not to imagine little gnomes running around your garden at night, guys. It's, some people find that really creepy, so it's probably best not to think about it. Anyway, the next spirit is a gobu, originally Italy. Once upon a time, the image of a hunchback represented abundance because the hump on the back was interpreted as a backpack so full that it forced the person carrying it over to hunch. That bag of gifts is not dissimilar to the big bag Santa Claus is still depicted carrying. Gobbo literally means hunchback. It's Italian. The Italian title of Victor Hugo's classic is Gobbo di Notre Dame. Gobbo is also the name given to an ancient Italian spirit of abundance, fertility and life force. Although Gobbo is now considered his name, it may originally have been a title or a euphemism. The most ancient manifestations of Gobbo somewhat resemble the Egyptian spirit best. He's a small, virile man whose presence stimulates prosperity and plenty. He transitioned to Christianity, although his famous virility was toned down. Gobbo appears as an ornamental motif among Gothic churches, in the same manner, if less frequently, as the Green Man. The identity of the treasure Gobbo brings was reinterpreted in Verona, Italy's 13th century Gothic church of Saint Anastasia. Gobbo bears the holy water front. Gobbo's mischievous tricks to nature and powerful libido refused to be stifled. He was eventually identified with imps and minor devils. Gobbo degenerated into a good luck charm, which is where you're most likely to find him now. Gobbo decorates automobile, rearview mirrors and keychains. The legend says that if you rub his hump, he'll bring you luck and good fortune. But Gobbo can do more. He breaks the power of the evil eye, banishes malevolent forces, and provides fertility too. He's attributed with a horseshoe, a red horn, a crowned horn, red pepper, umbrella, and various Italian amulets, like the mano conotto, the horned hand. Go ahead and keep Gobbo in your car or pocket, but place another image on the altar and see if he doesn't do more for you. Feed him espresso, food with peppers, phallic-shaped bread and lots and lots of Italian liquor, wine, grappa, limpon, celio. He likes those. We'll keep him happy and you will see what he can do. Just for you. <laughs> the next spirit we're moving on to is the Granus. It's Celtic. Granus is a healing spirit associated with therapeutic springs. Roman historian Theocasius who lived in the late 2nd and early 3rd centuries, placed Granus in the same league as Asclepios and Serapis. Apparently, Emperor Caracalla would not be cured at any of the three deity shrines. Granus was a major Celtic deity, venerated over a wide swath of territory from Brittany in the west as far as Hungary, where a 3rd century CE temple was dedicated to Apollo, Granus, and Serona. The Romans identified Granus with Apollo. Granus had shrines throughout Europe, including one of the hot springs of what is now Aachen in modern Germany, 
once called Aqua Granin, waters of Granos. Devotees came to bathe in the sacred waters, Granos. Temples contained dormitories where sleeping petitioners could incubate dreams, receive healings and visitations directly from Granos. The consort to Granos is Sorona, planet is sun, offerings ex votos milagros, that is. The next spirit is the green jade mother, also known as lady of the azure clouds and old mother, origin is China. The green jade mother is the jade emperor's sister. They once ruled heaven together, then they descended to earth at Taishan, the sacred Taoist mountain in China. There, brother and sister brought creation to life, creating plants, birds, fish and animals. The green jade mother created people too. Together with the jade emperor, she ruled over earth from Taishan. Exactly what happened next is very unclear, but the Jade Emperor now rules alone, a remote figure. The Green Jade Mother has faded into obscurity, even on her sacred mountain. She is called Old Lady of Teshan. The mountain is now dominated by her husband and daughter. The Green Jade Mother's daughter bears the title Lady of Teshan and is popularly venerated alongside her father. All have been somewhat eclipsed by Quan Yin, who now shares altar space on Taishan. The Green Jade Mother has a small cave shrine near the summit of Taishan, where you can actually probably go meet them, of course, can't you? So, I guess we're going to do the Green Man let me just state though the green man's something that I was brought up with so I'm familiar with him maybe this will be the same I hope it's the same the green man the spirit of irrepressible life pave over the earth as much as you like weeds will continue to poke through that impressible urge to live and procreate is the green man he personifies the regenerative powers of nature he is the essence of life force, the libido, the male impulse to procreate. The green man is the emblematic of decay, the body returned to earth covered in foliage. The green man is lord of the eternal cycle of life and death. The green man appears in the form of a tree man, a man completely covered in vines and leaves. If earth, Gaia, is perceived as a fertile woman, then trees are big, hard erections, eternally penetrating her. Tree sap was once equated with semen, might just add that. The green man names a spirit, but also an architectural ornamental motif. In terms of visual imagery, there are basically two forms of the green man. A male head that is formed from leaves or extensively crowned with leaves. That's the oldest form. A foliage emerges from the green man's mouth and occasionally through other orifices too. That's one way to interpret this, is the green man speaks through the plants and the trees. The green man is an extremely pagan-looking image. He's a wild man of nature. However, although the green man predates Christianity, it is now most famous as an architectural motif featured on Gothic churches. Green man are found in Bamberg, Chartres, Dijon. Norwich and Fribourg, 
as well as many other cathedrals and churches. There are 20 green man carvings within Exeter Cathedral. Images of the green man are proliferated in conjunction with the cult of black madonnas. Many of the cathedrals were built over sites once dedicated to Isis. Dale Pendle, author of the Aformico Poe, theorises that if Isis is the Madonna and Horus is the divine child, then the green man hiding among the foliage may be Osiris, who in Egyptian myth was hidden in foliage. Dionysus is sometimes considered the phototype or prototype for the green man. Others associated with him include Robin Hood and Saint George. Meditate on the image of the green man. Surround yourself with his images when you need a fertility boost or seek reinvigoration, physical, spiritual or emotional. You'll find the green man iconography everywhere. is de- is depicted in many different ways. It's not really hard to miss. A sacred animal is a snake. So the next spirit is Grid meaning peace, but there's another name and that's Hagrid. Origin is Norse, classification is Jotun Frost Giant. Grid is an unusual frost giant if only because she's friendly towards the Azir spirits. In a most famous myth, she rescues, rescues Thor from certain doom. Having been convinced to visit the hostile Jotun, Gerod, Without his magic hammer, belt and iron gauntlets, Thor stops to spend the night at Grid's home. She perceives his danger, although he does not. Grid instructs and cautions Thor, insisting that he take her own pair of iron gloves and her unbreakable shield and girdle of might. Thor survives because of her. She's a goddess of caution and forethought. Grid is the mother of Odin's son, Vidar, destined to avenge his father at very interesting is Ragnarok, isn't it? The end of time. Ragnarok. I was just wondering, actually, I was thinking about it, and I was just wondering to myself, so, how is it that Vikings now will get to Valhalla? Because there's no Viking wars anymore, so therefore they can't slain people anymore. And I thought that, like, getting to Valhalla, the whole war ritual was all part of it and stuff. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm going off on a tandem here. Just something I thought about, you know. Anyway, the next spirits are guardians of the sky, also known as royal stars. Their origin is Persia. The royal stars, guardians of the sky, are spirits and stars, first discussed by Persian astrologers some 3,000 years ago. The guardians of the sky are visible spirits. You can look up and see them, each so bright. They dominate the heavens for a season. As above, so below. The stars are guardians of the heavens and earth. Modern names of the stars are also used. Aldebaran, watcher of the east, guardian of the vernal equinox. Regulus, watcher of the south, guardian of the summer solstice. Antares, watcher of the west, guardian of the autumnal equinox. Fomlhaut. Watcher of the North, Guardian of the Wind Solstice. Regulus, the brightest star in the constellation Leo, is foremost 
of these guardians. And that's something else that my grandma used to teach me. She used to say the stars. The stars are not really just stars or what you think. The stars, they're our ancestors. They're the gods, the goddesses. Each one is a different sort of community of them as they watch down on us and create our destiny via the weaving of the web of life. <laughs> the next is Gunmod, also known as Mother of Poetry, Norse. Thrall Queen Gunmod was the guardian of the Mead of Poetry, which bestowed poetic skill. After Odin has acquired all the secrets, wisdom and memory of the Nine Worlds, the Mead of Poetry was one thing he lacked. He determined to obtain it and perceive being a poet to be a significant or sort of being as significant as a warrior or mage. This precious mead was hoarded beneath a mountain and guarded by Gunlod. It was an important job. But she was bored, and after various risky escapades, Odin transformed into a snake and sneaked into the mountain stronghold, where he transformed back into a man and charmed and seduced her. Odin stayed with her for three days, drinking a barrel of mead each day. On the fourth day, he changed back into a snake, slithered out of the mountain, then transformed into an eagle, and, in full possession of the mead, flew away. From thence, poetry was known as Odin's gift. Odin left more than memories behind. During their brief rendezvous, Gunnlod conceived Bragi, eventually Lord of Poetry. Well, obviously, they had a child. What do you expect? It's Odin. He wasn't exactly... Well, let's say, he wasn't a virgin, was he, Odin, you know? <clears throat> Just saying. The stories of him having various <laughs> affairs with so many. So, you know. But that brings our G's to an end. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I quite like those. I'm glad that I knew some of them and definitely recognised the majority in there. So that's pretty cool. Um I don't know what, what you guys think. I'm sure you have all your own beliefs. But if you have anything you want to add, feel free. Because, you know, this is just different ones that I picked up along the way. And I want to read. There's so many more out there in, in G. It's unreal. But this, I'm just going on various ones. I'm not going on them all. Otherwise, it would take me forever. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and continuing with me on this journey. I truly appreciate it. Please hit the like share if you can and if you've not yet subscribed to me or you're not following me on spotify or on youtube please do so it's completely free and it just really helps me out many blessings